You're listening to the Tech Execs Podcast. And you know what? Over the next three sessions, we're going to be talking about moving to the cloud. And we're calling this kind of mini-series, Don't Lift and Shift and Stop. Because when you move to the cloud, it's about maximizing your benefits in the cloud, not just running your IT. Or in other words, not just moving your problems from point A to point B. So if you're thinking about moving to the cloud or you've already moved to the cloud, this you're not going to want to miss. We've got lots of great insights to talk about. Today, it's all about the quickest way you can move to the cloud and specifically the questions you should be asking uh, to get you there smoothly. Let's do it. Three, two, one. Hey everyone, I'm Eric Clark. And I'm Brian Schuster. And we are your host for the Tech Execs Podcast. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. It's, weather's been pretty crappy here recently, but other than that, uh, tech is booming. Things are going in the right direction. Got lots of new clients coming in the door. O- overall, things are going pretty well. Things are moving and shaking. This is awesome. We, you know, we've got some really great things to talk about. So we've gotten some listener feedback uh, that's going to drive our content for the next couple, actually next three episodes. Yeah, that's um, right. We're doing our first mini series. This is episode. This is session number four, uh, where we're talking about "Don't Lift and Shift and Stop" is the miniseries idea. So the the overarching theme here is if you're moving to the cloud, we you have to. There's lots of different approaches you can take, right? And what we want to help you avoid is just lifting and shifting and then stopping and not innovating, because simply just moving your infrastructure over to the cloud is only going to get you marginal benefits. Right. You can almost think about it like a grid. And actually, in the show notes today, we will post this grid on how it looks, where if you have no cloud presence, don't have an account in either a public cloud like AWS or Azure, really your very first step is literally just going to be to take whatever infrastructure you currently have and move it into as much of a one-to-one configuration as you can, because that way you can take advantage of the people you have in-house, It's the easiest to understand, and you start getting some of the marginal benefits. But one of the things we see a lot of our clients doing is getting to that very first step and not progressing forward, either because they did some things in the early stages that caused them major headaches down the line, which we'll get into that today, or they're simply not aware of what is possible, or at least executives are not aware of how they could be pushing their technical people to innovate to lower costs, to get better demand, to make the machine run easier. And then finally, you know, there is such a new world of new innovative technologies, serverless architecture and automation, all these things where you can really get not just a 10% increase, but a 10x increase on what you're doing, you know, and each of those have a certain amount of effort and a certain amount of benefit. And over the next three episodes, we're just going to cover what those three areas look like. And the questions as an executive, you should be asking your team to figure out what's the best option for your organization. Absolutely. Great overview. So today, let's dive right into this. Um, the quickest way to get to the cloud. Yes, the That's lift and shift. The lift and shift, uh, you can call it the forklift method. Um, it's basically you, uh, maybe you're in a data center today. Uh, and actually a good example, I had a client uh, come and ask me about how do I move to the cloud? I've got a contract for my data center that's up in a few months. How do I get there? I need to, I want to get there before my, I have to renew my contract and lock me into this data center for another you know, year or whatever the 
the terms are. So the quickest way typically to do this is to do a lift and shift, which is basically identifying all of your workloads and applications and data and kind of outlining a plan on how you're going to actually make this move. But you're not doing any transformational things as a part of this effort or, or very little. Right. It's not about replatforming and getting everything moved. It's just making sure that the infrastructure you already have works in the new system you created. And today we're going to identify four different questions that you need to be thinking about as an executive when doing your first migration to the cloud. What are the most important issues that at least as consultants we see clients consistently take missteps or don't think through enough um, that cause them issues down the road or to not get as much benefit out of movement as possible? So today we're just talking about the lift and shift so that one day you can decide to move with as little frustration as possible. Yeah, so I think, you know, question number one, um, and this is an important one because many people will move to the cloud for cost savings. Uh, and when you do a lift and shift, um, it's up in the air whether you're going to save cost or not, I think. You, you really need to take a hard look at it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, whether you're, you know, saving money or not doing a lift and shift migration, you still need to understand the billing aspect of it. So you need to be asking questions around that. Right. And the biggest thing around billing, which is kind of our first major question we're going to discuss, is when you're in an old school data center type mentality, it's not easy to dramatically increase your cost overnight. There's a capital expenditure and a lawn process to either purchase service for yourself or go to your data center and add additional structure. It's usually a cost you can see coming down the line. Now, the benefit of cloud, of public cloud offer like um, AWS or Azure is that you can spin up infrastructure instantly. You don't have to wait for somebody else to go and create an EC2 and, you know, to create a server for you. It's already there. You just click a few buttons and it exists. But the it's easy to spend money, isn't it? Yeah, it is incredibly yeah. easy to spend money, which also means that there is a other side to this. Because it's incredibly easy, it's also very easy for someone to go into the council and be able to create something that is massively expensive and do it without anyone realizing what's happening. So an example of this is um, yesterday I was uh, experimenting with... Uh, EMR, which is one of AWS's services, and you can go in and create a 2,000-node EMR cluster. So real quick, EMR is Elastic MapReduce, and that's a kind of big data solution. It's a Hadoop technology. Hadoop technology, uh, just for, uh, for clarity there. Yeah, and it's like the specific technology is not important. What is important, though, is the fact that I could create something with 250 nodes, basically the equivalent of 250 servers, turn it on, and no one would be the wiser. So let me ask this from a billing standpoint, um, what, how do you prevent against that? Cause it's not only about identifying, you know, who has access to be able to click buttons that actually cost right. money. So what are the kind of takeaways on, so we're asking the question who is over your billing? Mm -hmm. What are a little, just a couple practical things that we can do? Right. So there's two parts to that considering billing. And I guess the very first question, the first major point here is how are you going to manage the tracking of your billing 
inside your organization. We're not going to give a specific recommendation on you need to do it by department or overhead. Every organization is different. But one of the things that needs to be considered is that it is excessively easy for someone to go in and be able to click a box and all of a sudden a server is being spun up. Now, I described a kind of nightmare scenario where somebody spins up 250 servers and has them running all weekend, which can run up the bill quickly. But more often what happens is somebody leaves a server on for testing purposes, forgets about it, and all of a sudden you're paying an additional $500 that you may not even notice. Um, One of the most common ways that we've seen clients handle that is, one, through the excessive use of tagging inside a system where you create a set of structures where it says every single object inside Amazon needs to have the name of the person issuing it, the department, maybe even an ID of some sort created internally so that then you can pop that information out, extract that, it. That all comes as part of the billing reporting, right? Right, uh, so right. All the tags are visible there so you can do some slicing and dicing on you know, where, uh, how nitty-gritty do you want to get on your spend? Right, and if you don't do that, what ends up happening, and we're pulled into clients constantly with this, who's paying us like five figures specifically to figure out what they're spending money on and how to control that in the future. But that's because they've already set up the environment and they don't know how to track this information currently. And so it's worth it to them to try to do this analysis. If you start from the mentality of, I need to be tracking my building and I need to have finite control over this, you can guide your team to then figure out what is the best way for us to manage it. There's great resources online and information you can look into on how best to handle this for your organization. But what's most important is you need to ask the question, how are we going to track this going forward? So it's not only about cost optimization once you're there, but it's the permissions around who has access to this stuff to be able to know with confidence that you're not going to run into as many situations where you have runaway costs. Right. And that gets into our second subject of things to consider when you do a lift and shift. So the thing that AWS and Azure do is it makes it really easy for not just your operation people, but every type of developer to spin up their own infrastructure to be able to do testing development, maybe even pushes to production if you get to that point. But what happens is if you don't think about who gets permissions early on, you run to one of two equally unkind situations. On the one hand, you get into incredibly restrictive environments. The only people who have access to do any sort of infrastructure deployment are the people who always have done that, your operations team. And that is a good way to control costs. But at the same time, what if somebody on another side of the department needs to start doing development boxes and they have to still fill out the same forms, go through the same exact channels and ask permissions from operations, but have the ability to do it on their own. You you are still, you're implementing a two to three day waiting period for something that could happen almost instantly. So really the concern here, and this is asking your team and going through your org structure and figuring out who do I ultimately want to have control over these processes what level of control should everyone have, you know, have the ability to access an environment and how are you going to roll that out to your organization? Because if you ask, and I know this from experience as an engineer, if you ask your engineers who are responsible for maintaining your operations, they're going to come back and say, only our team should have access right. to be able to do this because their job is to make sure that the wheels stay on the bus. You There's go lots of silos that 
get created, right, for better or for worse. But in a cloud environment, you need to start thinking about how do I break down those silos because that's where you're going to start to take advantage of more innovation. Right. Because people, the more access and freedom that people have to be able to test things out and spin up the servers that they need, you start to get some more benefits of the cloud. And if you're already there, if you're lifted and shifted over, that's a really simple benefit you can start taking advantage of right away. Right. But that gets to the other side of the spectrum of people who give pretty much unrestricted access to their environment. So we talk about the situation where operations takes no control, you know, takes complete control over it and you don't get the benefits of innovation. On the opposite side of that, you have someone who says anyone who wants admin access or control opens it up to the entire company. That's great for the developers, but I, we know this from experience. You get into the situation where people go into the environment, they spin it up, somebody else is paying the bill, so they don't do the things they should do. Like, for example, if they're done with the dev environment... Spin it down! Right. Stop it! They don't do that, though. They'll (laughs) just leave it up, or they said, well, it's kind of a pain to spin it up, and, well, nobody's really watching the bills. So what you do is you kind of get death by a thousand paper cuts, where you start taking on this level of expense every single month, where it's like, why are we spending an additional 1500 on this? So are you suggesting having an overarching person in place of looking at the bill? I am not. Because if we're talking about, you know, permissions and who has access to, you know, push those buttons, right, you want to have a certain level of freedom that's afforded to your staff to be able to do things. If you have developers, you should give them the freedom to be able to spin up the environments they need. I guess what I'm recommending here is these are not questions we can answer universally for all organizations. There are definitely best practices along each individual cycles, and that information is actually pretty widely available and pretty easy to find if you know to look for it. What I see the purpose of this discussion and what I'm urging our viewers to do is to go on and realize this is an issue where there's really no easy answer. You as an executive have the power to guide your organization into one direction and to another. Your engineers might do the strong operations. We don't let anyone else. Your developers will say, give us free access. It's your job to know to ask the question and start the research into your organization as you move on into the cloud to figure out exactly what's the right level of control you should be doing. Good point. So that's the second question. Yeah. And so the third question that we need to be asking is, who is going to be your cloud go-to person? And that's kind of a, I don't know, maybe you have a better term for this, so, this person, but who who's your expert? Who is the person that you're really going to rely on for all things cloud in your organization? Yeah. And at a more detailed level, right? Not at an executive level, but who's your trusted kind of partner from a cloud standpoint? So the issue we see more often with our clients is having a strong operations team that has done this in data center for years, but believing that they don't have the skill set required to move to AWS or Or Azure or on their own. And they almost see as public cloud is like a totally different technology than data centers. But what we found through many, many cloud migrations is that the traditional operations team is super incredibly qualified to handle things in the cloud. It turns out that moving to the public cloud was not so much a complete revolution in the way things were done. It was almost a small transition 
moving over to, you know, moving over to a different way of, you know, way of operating. But things like networking, servers, storage, all of those things exist in the cloud. All of those concepts that everybody's used to, right. Right. They already know. They just don't have the the naming conventions. They don't know the names of the services that they might use in Azure AWS or Google Cloud. Right. Or as simple as not knowing where to click inside the console or what API to call to be able to do this sort of thing. So that's a gap that could be filled, you know, really quickly. Right. And I think that's your point is. Yes. Yeah. And so I believe with organizations that already have a strong operations team, they should have one or two people who are either have a certification for this, which is actually, in my opinion, not a hard certification to go through, particularly if you already understand the stuff, or somebody who is adequately familiar with AWS to act as the sort of, let's call it the translation person for the traditional operations team who understands this technology and the new world they'll be going into. Because what quickly happens is as soon as people go into the public cloud, the operations team gets up to speed really quickly. Right. I mean, this is like nerd heaven inside these. They're going to love it. Yeah. So you get these guys into the cloud. You just need somebody there or a couple people there to act as the person to tell them, here's where all these things are located. Because once they get into that environment, they feel pretty close at home and it's pretty easy. It's just during crunch time when you are trying to lift and shift and move fast into your environment, they don't want to, they don't have the time to explore. They just need to know where these things are located and the method of which they can access these things. So I would say like they have 97, 90% of the information and background to be able to execute. They just need somebody to fill in that last 10%. So the third question here is who is going to be that person who's going to act as a translation layer for my old operations team into this new world as we do this lift and shift and new mentality that's in there. Okay. And then finally, the fourth question, and this is important for beyond cloud, but I think it's especially important, is who is going to be the person responsible for coordinating these efforts and making sure that as you move to the environment, there's no disruption of service? Right. And and do they have a proven plan? And one of the ways that you can drill in on this, if you're asking the question, you know, who is this person? And you've identified who this person is. You have to make sure that they have a proven plan. And by that, we mean you, what you can do is inventory your environment, inventory the landscape of what you have today that needs to be moved, what's in, in scope for moving, and take a certain population of uh, what you've got, maybe 10% of your environment, uh, different applications, or however you want to slice and dice it, right? But a small segment of it, and do a pilot program. But what you try to do is, especially if you're a larger larger organization, you have lots of different application owners at play that have a lot of tribal knowledge about the application that they support or develop. You want to make sure that you get a good sampling of your environment. And you kind of have a two-phased approach. So take a portion of your environment, get a plan together, with best practices on how to move and ask what those best practices are for your partner who's helping you and then actually do the migration and then take all the feedback and the pain points that you discover along the way because there will just be things that are unknown to you until you actually go through this pilot program. But the whole point of that pilot is to get the feedback that you need to come up with the best plan for you to move the rest of your environment over by whatever 
you know, date or milestone you're trying to achieve. Right. And having somebody there on your team who's specifically responsible for making sure that works and being able to, you know, being responsible for things go wrong. Who are you going to talk to? Could be somebody inside your operations team, could be a project manager, could be somebody else that just comes into your team, team to handle this. But it's somebody basically to coordinate those efforts because this is incredibly important. So to summarize our four questions here, when you're lifting, shifting, and moving to the cloud, number one, how am I going to handle my billing and track my billing going forward? When the environment is small and you have room to experiment, it's very easy to set something something up. Otherwise, you'll be contacting us in a few years, trying to figure out why you're consistently $100,000 a year over your budget and being unable to track it. Number two, How will you handle control and permissions inside your organization? We talked about the two extremes of having absolutely no control outside your operations team and having full control where it's, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. So what do you want your organization to do and what is your plan to roll that out? Question three is, who is your cloud go-to person? Inside your organization, if you have a standard operations team that has worked with data centers, they have 90% of the knowledge you're going to need when moving to a cloud, particularly for a lift and shift. You just need somebody there who understands the technology, is cloud-ready or certified, to help them get on board as they learn the technology and as they become more acquainted with it. And number four is, who is coordinating the migration and what is their plan to be able to do it? Who is that specific person that's going to take that environment, move it? If there's problems, they are responsible for figuring it out, and they have good communications with your operations team to make that work. So that's it for this week. Um, Next week, we are going to be talking about, okay, so you lifted and shifted, you've come up with your plan, your permissions, and your billing. But what's next? You're inside the cloud. You maybe got a marginal benefit. But where do I start getting those 10, 20% cost decrease or speeding up, you know, my deployments by a factor of 10x? So the next two episodes, right, are about replatforming and refactoring. So next week, we are going to be discussing how do you get additional benefits out of what you've already done? So you've moved into the cloud, you're getting some of those marginal benefits, you understand your building, but how do I get that 10 to 20% cost decrease? How do I get those deployments that go out in minutes as opposed to hours or sometimes days? How do I create my operations and turn them into a DevOps organization? Next week, we're going to be discussing what are the services inside AWS and Azure and what are the new methodologies your team can take advantage of to make those things happen for your organization. And then finally, we'll lead into what if you completely got rid of your current organization and had to rebuild what you're doing? And what are these insane benefits you'd be able to take advantage of if you decide to do that? Yeah, which is a huge question to ask. Can't wait to get to that episode. You know, it's the question about if I if I know knowing what I know today, if I had to do it all over again, what would I do differently? And knowing about the cloud, what would I do differently? That's two episodes away. Can't wait to get there. So thanks for listening today. We're going to wrap it up. We're really grateful for the time you took uh, to listen to us today, wherever you are. And you know what? We really want to hear from you. We want your feedback. And like we mentioned and and mentioned in every episode, this is uh, something that is driven by the topics that you're interested in. So email us. That's probably the easiest way to get in touch at answers at thetechexecs.com. You can also find us on Twitter at thetechexecs and uh, 
We'll interact there as well. But you know what? Be sure to visit our website for today's show notes and comments about the episode today. So go and visit thetechexecs.com slash session four. And uh, we'll have all the summarized notes from today and even that graph that we talked about at the beginning on cloud benefits and the amount of effort that it takes to get there. So thank you very much again. This is Eric signing off for today. This is Brian Schuster signing off. And we will see you next time on the Tech Execs.